Portland has three timeouts left. The Lakers have two. Brian, to shot! Well, toughness to me is broken down into two categories. Physical toughness and mental toughness. Let's talk about physical toughness. Oh, I got a little injury. It doesn't matter. I'm still going to run. toughness is always saying, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. Four seconds. Shaquille, fade away. Got it! Once you get that belief, it's all over. It's all over for the competition. 15 in the fourth quarter, and this one barely beat the buzzer to win it for the Lakers. Even if you don't, if you keep saying, you will, you will, you will, what starts to happen is you start to believe. Welcome to the Toughest Podcast. My name is Paddy Steinfort, and we have a huge guest on the show today, and that means literally and figuratively. We know Shaquille O'Neal is a four-time NBA champion, one of the most dominant players in the history of the sport, only one of three players to win the NBA MVP, the All-Star MVP, and the Finals MVP in that same year. But not only that, he has multiple degrees, a bachelor's, an MBA, a PhD in education, and he's a beloved character away from the court as well, four albums as a rapper and a DJ, uh, business investor and entrepreneur. He, just, he covers the whole gamut. Looking forward to this. It's going to be a great chat. Welcome to the show, Shaquille O'Neal. Thank you, Patty. Nice to be here. Appreciate you joining us. I, I'm always pumped. I'm extra pumped to talk with someone like you. You've obviously been a badass in one field in particular that most people know you for, but you cover such a huge spectrum. I'm actually I'm reminded when I met you, I'm not sure if you recall, you came in to speak to the 76ers at the start of the season. Brett Brown always reaches out to yeah. a high-level player. Yeah. And uh, we had you speaking to us at the start of 2019, it might have been, 2020. I and I remember shaking hands with you, thanking you for coming in, and, and your hand literally engulfed mine. Like, And I'm a big guy, I'm not a small guy. But they were great words to our players because it's not just about basketball. A lot of the discussion with you will be about things beyond basketball. So really looking forward to that. and. I guess that's probably a good place to start beyond basketball. Let's even say before basketball. Way back when, when you were a kid, your, your upbringing was very different from mine, obviously. You can hear my accent. I'm not from around here. Are you from Australia or England? I am from Australia. Uh, what part of Sydney? Melbourne is home. Uh, brother, brother lives in Sydney, but yeah, Melbourne is home. Sydney, Sydney, Sydney. Oi, oi, oi. Sydney, Sydney. Oi, oi, oi. Hey, he knows the local chance. There you go. You, you are a well-traveled man, a worldly man. But growing up in Newark, New Jersey, what was that like as a place, as an area to grow up in? Well, it's very tough. My father, stepfather, I don't believe in stepfather, when he came into my life at two, three, four, immediately he trained me to be a leader and not a follower. When I was coming up, there was a lot of dangerous trials and tribulations. I lived in a project, so downstairs you see dealers, Around the corner, you see gangs. Around the corner from that, you see users. Around the corner from that, you see my friends, the juvenile delinquents. It was always stuff to do, but he quickly got me out of that. And I didn't know what a leader was until I was deemed the best player on the team. And he lead. I didn't, I, I didn't know what it took to be a leader. But I realized that all the discipline and all the spankings that I received helped me get to this point. And I'm one of those guys that I got disciplined very hard, but I don't, I'm not 
I'm thankful for it because I have a lot. I've done a lot and I've been through a lot. And, you know, uh, the, the disciplines that I receive are very unorthodox. They will never fly today. But as I look in my house in Vegas, my house in Miami, my house in Atlanta, it was only because of two people, my mother and my disciplinary father. Yeah, and that's, that's an interesting place to dig into there. Your mother, Lucille, was 17 when she gave birth to you, I believe, and your father wasn't in the picture, your genetic father, I guess, but your stepfather, they got married when you were young and you mentioned that he had some pretty strong discipline. He came from a military background, right? We have a lot of military listeners in this show. And what do you think, like I've heard you share a story actually specifically just to really paint the picture. I'm not sure if this was hyped up or not, but sharing a story about how your father would come to school and actually whoop you in front of other kids or teachers, right? So is that the type of military discipline you're talking about or is there other stuff in terms of behaviors? One, be kind, be courteous. Two, dress for success. Three, be a leader. So back in my era, that was when the kids started sagging their pants. And I had a little gold chain, I had a little fake earring, you know, I had my hat on backwards. But when I leave the house, shirt tucked in, <laughs> shoes shined, books lined up neatly. So he would check in the school, whatever, because the teachers would call him like, hey, Shaquille's acting up again. Like he told every teacher, if you have a problem on this one, Call me. So he'd come and say, you want to be a clown? And he'd give the other students something to, to laugh at. <laughs> we left Newark and we went to Fort Stewart, Georgia. So back then, I think it was called, I want to use the word corporal punishment. You were allowed to get paddled in school. So he'd come in and tell the teacher, you don't need to paddle him, let me paddle him. And he'd paddle me in front of all the kids and all the kids would be laughing. And then, you know, I had to, I had to, Straighten up for a while. Yeah. Took me from four to 15 to straighten up. Took me 11 years to straighten up. Okay. I remember, so we had a similar system back home where, like, you could get the strap or some corporal punishment at school, but I remember that almost emboldened me, right? Granted, my father wasn't delivering it, so that might have been different. But was that the thing that turned you, like, around 15, or it was a gradual growth process? Like, what, was there a specific event where you're like, oh, i got to sharpen up here? One thing changed me, sports. Around that time, it was a no-pass, no-play rule. So I was the, man, it wasn't really, really good, but I was the best guy in school and everybody depended on me. And I didn't pass, and my father was like, you couldn't play. And for the first time, I let people down. I let my friend down, I let my family, because I was always borderline, like, oh, I got a 69. Oh, Mr. Fink, Mr. Fink, what can I do? What can I do, Mr. Fink? Well, you can answer these questions and bring it up to a seven. Thank you, Mr. Fink. I was always the kid that, that messed around there at the last moment. Like, oh, I got a 69. My dad's going to kill me. Let me get this back up. But one teacher wasn't having it, so I failed. Couldn't play the championship game. We lose. Friends didn't talk to me, you know, for a couple of weeks or whatever. And then my father did something which I thought was weird. He didn't spank me. He just said, hey, man, see what happened when you don't be a leader? And he pulled out a, a poster of Dr. J. He said, you like Dr. J? And I said, yes, sir. And he said, okay, if you if you get good grades, I'll take you to a 76ers game. And I said, deal. So now, so I get all B's. He has a tear. He's like, see, man, I told you you can do it. You can do it. He takes me to the game. We're up high, of course. We don't have great seats. 
And I've never experienced something like that. 10, 13,000. And Dr. J goes baseline and throws it down, and the whole crowd stands up. It actually scared me. I thought, thought I was like a, you know, like a bomb threat or something. The crowd goes crazy. And I'm like, and like, it's like the aura of the crowd just and then enter me. And I look at my father and I said, sir? He said, yes. He said, I know what I want to do when I grow up. I want to be like that. And his exact words were, good. From this point on, if you listen to me, I'll make you the best big man ever. So that is what changed me. I didn't want to, I wanted to play the sport and then I didn't want to let people down. So after that, from 15 to now, no problems. No problems whatsoever. That's an amazing tale. I, got, I get goosebumps there thinking about Dr. J, who's an all-time legend. Obviously, I've been in that arena uh, multiple times. Philly's a loud crowd. Yes. And when it goes off, it goes off. And for you to feel that, you know, internalise that so quickly, and then that obviously drives you a lot. From 15 up until you're at LSU, there's, there's obviously a little bit going on there. You weren't the number one high school recruit in the country at that point, right, at 15? I wasn't. So, you know, I always tell people that life is goes like this. So even though I was the man at my school at 15, I wasn't the best 15-year-old, and they killed me. So I'm looking, oh, Larry Fink, Patty Stanford is, is ranked ahead of me, and it just makes me work, right? Yeah. So now I'm in Germany. We leave Germany. No, I'm in Germany. I get cut freshman and sophomore year. Oh, you're good, but you're not that good to make the varsity button. See you later. So now I'm, I'm pissed. I get to Texas. I get to this little high school, uh, 269 people from 9 to 12. Never went anywhere in basketball. Because Texas is a football state. Never went anywhere in basketball. I go to the tryouts. I'm like, holy shit, I'm the best guy here. This is your team. So now it's my team. So now I finally got what I want. I'm high school, varsity. I got my own team. Nobody knew me, nobody heard of me. First year, we go 35-1. and one. We lose in the state finals. I miss a couple of free throws. We lose. So now, I'm pissed even more. So now, again, part two of letting people down. Guy who took this military school somewhere they never thought they would ever go. You took them to the promise line, but then you let them down again. Now, man, now I can't sleep. So now, the next year, I said, okay, I got you, guy. Next year, I go 36 and up. Now, I'm a top player. In, in high school. But now when I get to college, I got to start all over again. But I'm experienced at being at the bottom and rising to the top. See, a lot of people, when they show up, they're at the top. And then when they go to the bottom, they don't know how to get back to the top. So I've, I've always had experience of being, oh, you're nobody. Hello, Mr. Somebody. Hey, Mr. Nobody. Hey, Mr. Somebody. Hey, Mr. Nobody. Hey, Mr. Somebody. So... And that's what's the key to that for you? Because that, that's, a, that's a fascinating insight there that you've got. I was just getting ready to get to that. My father had a no-quit policy. You would get in trouble if you quit, period. So uh, I started off playing football. And if somebody hit harder than me and I couldn't get up, if I quit, he'd be like, you want to get hit by him or you want to get hit by me? <laughs> okay, ah, uh, Patty, Patty Stanford is the best football player. He just made, knocked my hair out. Get up and go again. Get up and go again. Get up. And then finally, like, okay, Patty, Patty hits hard, but now I'm okay. So, like, you know, some people, when they get to the point to where they think they can't do it, they automatically stop. He's like, no, there is no stopping. There is no stopping. You keep going, you keep going, you keep going, no matter what, you keep going. And 
before you succeed, you must first learn to fail. Everybody fails. Yeah, we'll circle back to that in, in a minute. I think that's a, this is a really good place to jump in on a question we ask every guest because the title of the show is Toughness. You've already mentioned a few kind of examples there and how you developed it yourself as a child, thanks to some great guidance from your parents. What does toughness mean to you in your experience? What, how would you define that? Well, toughness to me is broken down into two categories, physical toughness and mental toughness. Let's talk about physical toughness. You're strong, you're lean, you're fast, you can run, you can jump, you're athletic. Oh, I got a little injury. It doesn't matter. I'm still going to run. Mental toughness is always saying, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. Even if you don't, if you keep saying you will, you will, you will, what starts to happen is you start to believe. And once you get that belief, it's all over. It's all over for the competition. What you think it will become it. Like I used to just sit around my house being jealous of other guys that was ranked ahead of me. Oh, I will be the best player in the world. I will be the baddest big man in the game. I will be the first first guy to, to, to have a rap album and go platinum. I will. No, you won't. No, you won't. You're terrible. You can't do that. No, I will. I will. I will. To the point to where I believe it. Like, for example, I know I'm not the greatest basketball player, but I believe I was when I was playing. And I don't care who was out there. I'm going right at you. And that actually helped me and my team beat Michael Jordan. I, I was the last guy to beat Michael Jordan in the playoffs because, okay, like, oh, you're Mike, but I'm Shaq, and I'm going to beat you. Like, you know, we match up pretty even. Penny can guard Mike. Nick can guard Scotty and go either way. But at the center position, oh, nobody on that team can guard me. So guess what? That's where we're going to beat you at. Mike, you're going to get 20. Penny going to get 20. Boom, 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 boom. But I'm going to get 40. And ain't nobody going to stop me. Oh, y'all going to follow me? Okay. Let me tuck my elbow in and start shooting free throws. That's all the day. Listen, nobody could beat Mike at that time. Nobody believed they could, but I did. And I've been practicing that ever since ever since 12 years old. And, and did that flip for you at some Like, has there ever been something where you started? Because that's a great mindset to have. It's obviously something that you have developed and it's now a default for you. But were there things where at first you were like, I can't or, you know, not yet, but then you became a I will guy? All the time. I couldn't, I couldn't run, I couldn't jump, I couldn't play, I couldn't fight, I couldn't take pain. And then when I wanted to be like Dr. J, my father put me through this karate kid training. 6 a.m., he'd go out with, with his troops and he'd tell me, get behind the soldiers, run the wall, jump the fence, move your feet. Hello, attention. Yes, sir. I had to do all that stuff. Then I had to come home, you got an hour. Break them leaves. You got 15 minutes, get in there and watch the show and you better go to school. Better protect your brother and sister. You better be here at 3 o'clock. Get home at 3 o'clock, he'd come. He'd grab a beer and he had me do crazy stuff. Go touch that blue car and, and come back. You better do it for 15 seconds. 16, do it again. So, like, I was trying to impress him so much that I was just doing crazy stuff. So, what his thing was... You're not going to be great now, but I'm going to just have you doing a lot of crazy stuff. And when it comes time for you to be great, boom. You know, when I first came to the NBA, I was a runner. And the reason why I was a runner, because we didn't have, a, well, father had one car. When he came back from work, he's not going back to the top of the base. I said, Dad, can you take me to play basketball? He said, you got two hours, see you later. Because I had to be in before the, the uh, street light came on. So I would have to run to the gym, which is about two miles. 
sprint. Get there, play a couple games. Oh, it's it's five. I got to be in by five thirty. Run back every day, every day. So now when I'm in high school, I hit the foot. Pew! I'm like, damn! Like, I didn't even know what the stuff was going. And now when a guy throws a line too high, ah, oh, I'm dunking. Now when I get fouled by a little guy, it's bouncing off me. All the stuff that he was training me to do, it came to fruition. And I remember him telling me, hey, I'm going to make you the best big man ever, mentally and physically. And I, he used to always say, I didn't believe him. As I started getting older, I was like, it's working. So whenever he told me to do something, I had to do it. And he was a type that he was never satisfied. Well, it sounds a little bit like you as well. Like it never satisfied you. You've three-peated, which in itself is, a, is its own achievement. I mean, one is its own achievement, let alone three in a row. Then you go and do it again in Miami. And then you have a... 20-year career, and then you go on to all these other successes. And you mentioned there the running and the endurance of getting to the gym and back and physically we're talking there. But is there an element of, a, of mental and emotional endurance in it as well for you in terms of being tough? Like let's talk about the career that you had where it was 20 years. It's an all-time Hall of Fame career, but there were some challenges in there, right? Got traded a few times, had some seasons that weren't up to your standard, free throw challenges all the way through. like. What part of it for you was endurance as well? I was programmed to handle everything ever. So when I first got traded, I wasn't sad because I'm like, hey, growing up, I moved every four years anyway. Oh, that's the time to go to another place. The, the most profound thing my father told me is, don't worry about the problem, worry about the solution. Too many people go, I got a headache, I got a headache, I got a headache, I got a headache. But the people that worry about the solution, where's the problem? Where's the Advil? Right? Now I got a headache. I'm not going to walk around this headache all day. Let's relieve this headache. We're up there. Here it is right here, the title, and the headache is gone. So those people that figure out they have a problem and then focus on the solution, those are ones that can navigate through life a little easier. And it's tough to do. A lot of people don't, don't have that technique, but I always have that technique. So, hey, I'm getting traded. I'm not going over spilled milk. Go to another city and take over. Because remember, I'm at the top, you get traded. Now I'm back at the bottom of the new city. But now they will know the name of the conqueror, Shaquille O'Neal. Take this city over also. So when I went to LA, you know, a lot of, we got swept down there every time. Phil comes along, we won our first championship. Larry will tell you, we party in our butt off in Vegas the next day. Oh, I bet you can't win another one. See, now, now you're challenging me again. Oh yeah, can't win another one? Watch this. Oh, two years in a row, Larry Fink holds the Shaq party at the Palm. Last year was great, but more of a repeat. But you can't win another one. <laughs> Say it again. Now we win three. And then after you win three, management wants to change. Oh, Shaq, you're too old. You got to go. You know what? I'm used to moving every four years, so I just say I stayed two terms in like eight years. <laughs> now I got to go conquer the lands of Miami. And I do the same thing, so... Being that I was a world traveler, getting traded never bothered me. Yeah, okay. What about the, the free throw challenge? It wasn't a challenge. I think it was a blessing to keep me humble. Because as Larry will tell you, when I need to hit him, I'm going to hit him. Put out going crazy, down by one, up by one. I'm about to shut you up. See, I, like, you know, people thrive on percentages. But I've seen guys that shoot 80% miss the one that they need to make. So, you know, the ones I needed to make. I always made them. So I'm not really worried about a percentage, but I just said to myself, if I played the way I played and did all the things that I do and shot like Steph Curry from the free throw line, 
I probably wouldn't be in this podcast right now. I'd probably be an arrogant fella. <laughs> arrogant. So it's just ways to, to humble me and you know show people that I'm that I'm human. And then again, even with that, you know, I would miss and I'd come home and I'd be upset, but then I say, hey man, just just keep working. And then I say, you know what? I know I'm gonna hit him. I know I'm gonna hit him when it comes time. And if I get to the finals, oh, I'm hitting every one of them. Trust me. I'm gonna hit everyone. I'm gonna look at your fans. I'm gonna look at your cheerleaders. I'm gonna try to get a phone number from one of your cheerleaders. And that, that's it. So again, you know, I always try to never focus on the problem. I always worry about the solution. You're listening to Toughness, a podcast where some of the world's best performers from different fields share their personal stories about pressure, stress, and success. This series of interviews is a product of the Human Performance Think Tank, with thanks to the U.S. Army and Booz Allen Hamilton. Coming up later in the show. I said, what are you doing here? I said, you spoil a little freaking breath. You made 40 for 70 years. Are you talking about pressure? Look at that. That's pressure. So damn you mentioned there those those clutch shots, so the ones that like really matter, yeah. and it's a great way to look at it because it actually ta- usually when I'm working with an athlete or a performer, they'll discuss like the experience of honing in when it really counts. And one of the things that we like we ask, you know, I had a fighter pilot on here the other day, World Series poker guy, all sorts of people to deal with sometimes life and death or millions of dollars on the line, which is the equivalent of sometimes some of those free throws for you. What was your process? When it mattered most, how did you know that was going to happen? Was that just a natural thing that, that took over you? Or was it? did you have to work on when it really counts, I'm going to do this to make sure I'm in the moment? I'm a people person. So when people doubt me, I rise. When people need me, I rise. So let's just say I'm having a bad free throw game all game. And I get fouled. I look into the fans and I see one guy go, oh, my God. Now I'm pissed. Oh, you don't think I'm going to hit it? Or I look at this stand and I see a little kid going, like, all right, I got you. I got you. So moments like that. And then I'm about to say something that's very, very dangerous. Very dangerous. Because as you know, athletes deal with a lot of stress, right? And I'm a very sensitive guy. I watched a movie one time called The Fan. You ever seen The Fan? Robert De Niro, Wesley Snipes. So Robert De Niro kidnaps Wesley Snipes, who was a famous baseball player. And he, he, wanted, he didn't want to do any harm. He just wanted to talk to him. He said, man, how do you play so well? How do you hit all these home runs? And how do you do this? And Wesley Snipes said, I don't care. Now Robert gets picked up. Oh, oh what, do, what do you mean you don't care? And Wesley said, I, I don't care. I just go out there and play with a lot of joy. Whatever happens, happens. I started thinking that too. But that's dangerous because you have to care. But So I switch it up a little bit. I don't care what they say. I don't care what they write. Stop reading the paper. Stop listening to criticism and just focus on what I had to focus on. I want to win a championship. I want my name up there next to the green. I know what I got to do. I've been doing it my whole career. I'm not going to listen to Bill Plaschke's and the ESPN. And once I started doing that, I took off. I really took off. So that's dangerous. I don't want people to hear this and say, oh, well, Shaq don't care. I don't care. I do care, but I don't care about the negativity. Yeah. You care about what matters. Yes. Like, for example, right now, if I was playing right now, I'd have Instagram, but I have all my comments turned off. You can't be able to comment. I'm going to put out what I want you to see, joy, fun, all that. You can't write me back. Because Larry knows if you disrespect me, I'm going to tear your face off. 
said that that's just how I am. But once I started moving, he said he didn't care. I was like, you know, I'm gonna stop caring. And then, hey, everything flourished. Business, life, everything flourished. So, you know. It's interesting. You, you mentioned there about having fun if you had an Instagram back in the day. And it, I, I, doing a little bit of research before the show, I found the dissertation you did for your PhD. Right now, I haven't. I've got to be honest. I haven't read the whole thing, but the title really grabbed my attention: "The Duality of Humor and Aggression in Leadership Styles." Now, that's a long time ago, I assume, but it is. It, it does strike me, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners, that you are a fun guy. It's a part of your persona. Is that something you deliberately pursue because it's helpful, or it's just like an expression of who you are? One, I've always been a class clown. Two, you see me as this big. Rah. Ronnie guy, and once you think I'm one of those mean guys, it's just who I am. The reason I chose that title for the dissertation, I was anxious to see which leader was more effective. I got the idea because every time Steve Jobs talked about the iPhone, it was great. I'm like, man, I would love to work for this guy. And then, you know, when I was interviewing people, I interviewed people from Apple, people from Microsoft, a couple, of, you know, interviewed people in a couple of casinos. And what I figured out, is that people have to modulate. Nobody is 100% one way. So when I went and met the people with Apple, they said Steve Jobs didn't mess around. Steve Jobs was so, Steve Jobs was 80% serious and 20% humorous. And I also got the idea because when I played with Phil Jackson, it was, hey, <laughs> we won three. And when I played with Pat Roddy, it was, shut up, body fat, one. So my conclusion is that both styles can be effective in the short run, but in the long run, if you're having fun, if you're doing what you really love and you have a little bit of uh, sensitive humor, because, you know, the rules change, like, you know, when it comes to humor now, you have sensitive humor, that could be a more effective in the long run. And, you know, being humorous these days, you have to be careful, especially in, in, in the workplace. It's interesting that that's your gut feel and your intuition and obviously what you discovered in your dissertation but there's a lot of research as you have found that shows that humor does decrease stress in some of those key moments right and it also builds trust because people feel like they can be themselves around you so there's a number of benefits there that make sense from both a performance point of view but also just a community support point of view and i want to pivot to that for a moment here because this is an element of toughness that is often downplayed i'll say like a lot of people, the great stories of, you know, the gritty person who made it all on their own and they pushed through. You've already mentioned two of your great helpers and guiders in, in your early journey and moving forward as well. They didn't just stop once you made the NBA. But the ability for people to have a community around them and heroes to look up to is a key part of it. You yourself are a proud member of the Omega Sci-Fi fraternity. And using that maybe as an example or other communities, like how have other people helped you remain tough? Well, my, I have a panel. panel consists of Dr. Lucille O'Neill, which is my mother, Mike Parrish and Jerome Crawford, Perry Rogers, who Larry knows, and uh, one other person, Dale Brown. I am the, uh, but they're above me. I'm president at Congress. These are the only people that when they tell me I've done wrong, I know that I've done wrong. No disrespect to Larry, but if Larry said you shouldn't smack that guy, me and Larry are gonna have a five-minute argument. Well, Larry, he boom, 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 boom. Dale Brown or somebody from my panel said you shouldn't smack the guy. It's nothing to talk about. Mr. James, I know we have altercation and I punched you. 
I apologize. You know, right? Like, you know, I, I know. So they keep me humble. I always talk about people always recognize, let's, let's just say the Golden Gate Bridge. Oh, the bridge is beautiful, the lights. Nobody talks about the legs. The legs are in the water, cold. The legs are trying to hold it up when there's an earthquake. The legs are the true heroes of the Golden Gate Bridge. So even though I'm the shack, a lot of people run in my program. Bless you, my mother. So you know, everything I, I do community-wise, like all that giving back, I don't like that term. I like doing what you're supposed to do. If I got a million dollars and you see a guy on the street with nothing, take care of the person. True story. New York Knicks versus the Orlando Magic. I have a terrible game. Wow, I was pissed. Get your ass back home now. Man, we got a new, we got a game in two days in DC. No, bring your ass home now. Bring a jet. Yes, sir. As soon as I get the door. You couldn't handle the pressure? And you're not supposed to say, no, I can't. But I can't say, yes, I could, because I had a terrible game. So I messed around and said, no, I couldn't. Now he's mad. Slams the door on him and let me come in. Get in the car. So we were out in the car. And there was this homeless family that he always used to take care of. Husband, wife, and two kids. They live under this bridge. And he'd bring them food. He'd take them to Walmart. He'd give them clothes. He'd give them blankets. And we just sit and watch his family. I said, what are you doing here? He said, you spoil a little freaking brat. You make 40 for 70 years, and you're talking about pressure. Look at that. That's pressure. Pressure where you don't know where your next meal is coming from. And it was a Monday. It was an early Monday, like, you know, 12, 1. Get out. So what do you mean, get out? Get out. So now I'm out. So now I'm, I'm talking to the guy. And it, it's, it's beautiful, but it's sad. But he was telling me to get out and handle it. Okay, you, you, you can't handle that pressure. Now fix that pressure. So I called a friend of mine and said, hey, man, you got a couple apartments we can rent? Yeah, I said, right, I'm going to put this apartment in my name. Go to the furniture store, get the guy's furniture, some bed, like all this in one day. And I said, my man, uh, got your apartment, got you that, get some cash. What do you like to do? He said, man, I can't do much, but I can I can definitely cut some grass. Hey, Tom, I got to do, uh, boom, 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 boom. Put them on your team. You know, that new tractor you were trying to get, I'm going to get it for you, boom, 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 just put them on your team. And to this day, the dude still cuts my house. Still cuts my house. So once I saw that, I, I, I deleted the word pressure from my program. There's no such thing as pressure. So, because like that, that that touched me. So, that was your next game after that? Had the pressure didn't affect you after that? No, I went off. But I like taking care of homeless people. I like taking care of kids. And I'm like doing what I'm supposed to do. Like, like all this stuff, this is taught to me. It's not, like I hate people that say, Larry, call ET, call them, call them, call them. Tell me to meet me out here, I'm gonna be, I hate that. Like if you ever see me doing stuff on media, they found out on the Larry tell you, I don't have no promises. I won't call people and say, look, I'm doing good. That's not what it's all about. That's not what I'm talking. I'm always talking to, you know, help people. and. If I can help you and make you smile, that is better than any of these championship trophies behind It's a great philosophy that you've developed over the years. And I know that point makes me think of one of your nicknames, which is the Big Aristotle. Yes. That was a self-proclaimed nickname, or did someone give that to you? No, what happened was uh, I was receiving my MVP trophy and I wanted to hit him with a profound quote. I have a quote book, so I was reading my quotes, and then I came to the excellent 
as a, it's not a singular habit. You are what you repeatedly do. I was like, you know what? I did work my ass off to get the trophy. I'm going to say this one. So I'm going to just call myself the big girl style. Yeah. And it does reflect in, in your story ongoing, right? It's not just these single acts. This is everything you're mentioning here. You've got multiple examples. There is a standout moment in time for a lot of people in the industry, but particularly for yourself. Way back in 2017, I think you, you tweeted or you made some mention of mental health. People struggle. You said something like on Twitter, many people struggle, but not enough people talk about it. You were promoting it as a service that helps people do that. But then fast forward to the horrific tragedy of Kobe's passing with his daughter, and it obviously hit hard for a lot of people. I remember vividly the night when I was with the team when we found out everyone to a man, the 76ers players and staff were all affected, mostly to tears. This guy was a hero for a lot of guys. He's not only a hero for you, he's a teammate, someone you shared success with and a, and a rare spot in the limelight next to each other. And so I can only imagine how hard that must have hit you and your family. How did you manage the emotions of that tragic time? Did you talk to someone? Did you start a conversation? Like what, what was your process for working through that and potentially still working through that? Uh, a couple months before that, my baby sister died. I was already down in the dumps. And he passed away. I am a realist about certain situations. We're all going to die. My sister had cancer. What I was upset about is, bro, you're working so hard, you only saw your baby sister four times that year. And my family is the type of family they don't want to hit me with stress. So this is the third time I'm having cancer. So she beat the first time, she beat the second time. So when, I, when they told me she had it, I was in, she's going to beat him on. Never knew it was stage four. If I knew it was stage four, I would have dropped everything I did. Took her to London, took her to Europe, took her to Egypt, took her to the Bahamas. And that's what's killing me the most. When we got to saw four times. And then I'm, just, I'm already down. And then I'm at the gym one day, working out with one of my sons. And one of my other sons coming and crying. And he hands me the phone. And I'm, I'm always the one to try to stop time and figure it out before. I'm like, my mom okay? Your mom okay? Like, I'm just trying to figure it out because he's crying, so now I got to be strong for him to try to figure out. And then I look at it, and it was like TMZ, and I was like, because I watched the game the night before when LeBron passed him up. So, you know, I, I never trusted him, man. I'm like, this is a hoax. Stop it. And then the phone call. Boom. Everybody calling me. So now I got to break down again. But now I go back to, we never really talk like we should have. And now we can never talk again. So it kind of put me in a state of mind that you know, I need to reach out to old friends and family to say, hey, how you doing? Because you never know when, it, when it's a lot to know. I'm still dealing with it. You know, he's on, he's on Instagram and TikTok every day. So he'll never be forgotten. But I'm more concerned about his mom and dad and his family. Like I'm hurting, but I know they're, I know they're in the torture chambers right now. His wife, his kids. And, uh, you know, I think about it all the time, but, you know, my father, when he went to his mother's funeral, didn't cry. I'm like, damn, man. So finally I pulled him to the side, because I'm older now, and I can probably beat him up on top of Say, hey, man, you all right? He just, life goes on. Let's go, brother. So now that he's gone, I have to assume that role. And... Cried a little bit, my sister cried a little bit from Kobe, but 
hey, you gotta, you gotta move on. I got six children I gotta take care of. I gotta take care of my mother, my brother, and my other sister. And I'm blessed. Not only I'm blessed, I'm the CEO of this family corporation. I don't have a, I don't have a successor yet. Got a couple of people in line, but I tell my kids, you gotta have two degrees to touch any of my cheese. So if I go down, kingdom will crumble. So mentally, being that I was raised by the toughest man in the world, it's not a lot that can break me mentally. And then if I ever start getting, getting to where it's moo, 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 I go through a process where I just breathe and just think about positive stuff. Like I've never been the one to, to talk to people. If I ever get really, 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 really down, I'll talk to Dr. Lucille O'Neill, but I don't like to put pressure on her either, but you know what gets me out of it? What's that? I look around and I can hear my father saying, stop crying, man up. Like I remember one time I had an injury, I didn't play. Father, where you at? Oh, I'm in DC. Call, call Colonel Larry Fink, he wants to meet you. Meet with Colonel Larry Fink. Where are we going? Are we going to Walter Reed Hospital? What's that? Soldiers, limbs cut off, boom, boom, boom. I met a guy with no arms and no legs and he wanted to go back and fight again. And I said to myself, you know what? I'm never crying about an injury again. Ever in mm-hmm. You got a guy has no arm, no leg. He ain't complaining. He said, hey, man, I'm, I'm working with the government. I'm about, I'm about to get these robocop and I'm going back. I'm like, you're going back? You're like, yeah, I'm going back. Like, that's that just, I'm like, I'm like, you know what? I was a, you know what? Had a little toe injury and couldn't run out the court and jump up and down, so I'm not going to play. I just felt really bad, so. What made me great is not working out, it's stories. Profound stories made me. You are listening to Toughness. And if you're this far into the episode, there's a good chance you like the show. You can add to the conversation with the whole review, rate, subscribe, and share thing. If this helps just one person who needs to hear what our guests share to get them through today, it'll all be worth it. Stay tuned for more coming up, including... So like when I first got into the game, I only had two rules. If it's too good to be true, stay away from it. If it's safe, get into it. So damn powerful. You mentioned a lot of people relying on you and depending on you, right? The Shaq CEO corporate CEO of Corporation Shaq, right? Inc. How do you if you happen to see someone who depends upon you and they're struggling? So you you've got your own processes for working through it internally and for you, you talk to your mom if you really, really need. But what if you see someone who depends on you who is actually like hanging by a thread? Like you, your mom has written about some of her own struggles, right? How do you help people around you? I try to tell them stories. That's the first thing. But then I realize I'm not an expert. Like, okay, if I see they need help, I call a friend of the family and really get them help. I always, I always try to go the simple route first. Simple route first for me is the hero route. And one of my sisters will never ask me for anything. She just do a lot of crazy stuff. And then when I see her, I'm like, what are you doing? Nothing. Like, what's wrong? I'm sorry. I spent five thousand on the credit card. I got you. Don't worry about it. Let me. Let me I, this I can handle. But if it's something I can't handle, I'll try to tell the story. One time, but they did that. See if that works. If that doesn't work, I just have to get them out because mental mental health is real. And, a lot of people don't understand, but it's not for you to understand. You have to understand how this person feels. And you have to understand how we can help this person get better. 
And uh, well, one, I, I know I'm not an expert. I tell a lot of funny, inspirational stories. Those stories were told to me, and I just try to lift lift the person's spirit. But if that doesn't work, I'll, I'll, I'll have to get them help. My spirit never gets below 50% because I'm not allowed to. My father won't allow it. And then two, I just try to plug all my formulas. I right, don't worry about the problem, worry about the solution. Man up. Stop being a punk. And then this right here is, is I always said to myself this, this always gets me, this is my key turn. It could be worse. It could be worse. As I look around where I live and all I do, I say, shut up and stop complaining and handle it. Shut your butt up and just shut it up. Because it could be worse. Because Larry and I, we, we know some people that used to hang out with us and spend big money. Now they don't have $2 to their names, which is sad. So before I start, it could be worse. I'd be like, you know what, it could be worse. Why don't you stop worrying about your problems and, and, go, and go help somebody else? So now my mission is every time I go to a big time store, I'm helping somebody else. Well, the other day I was in Best Buy and I seen a family, beautiful family, guy, husband, two daughters. They had a 45 inch TV and they had a whole bunch of coupons, but they were so happy. Oh man, Netflix, Hulu, they were happy. But I'm not letting that ride because I'm the dummy that when the 75 inches first come out, I buy them, they're 5,000. But now that's $700 for 75 inch. I'm not letting this family walk out with no, with no 45 inch. And God already knew what I was going to do before I got there. Excuse me, sir, what kind of car you drive? I got an F-150. Perfect. Put that little 45 down and get your 75. What? So go get a 75. No, no, I can't. Brother, I'm telling you, go get a 75. I'll take care of it. So making them happy makes me happy. Now I'm like this when I go home. So the problem, the little problem that I had, I throw some of that happy juice on it, and it starts to sink up. It starts to go away. And then I can go back and, okay, what happened? I'm like, okay, come on, this take it. So now that I'm happy, it changes my, it changes the fluids in my body and my brain, and now I can deal with the problem that I'm dealing with. So whenever I get down, I just say, shut up, because it could be worse. Man up, figure it out. Because that's what my father would say. Shut up and figure it out. Why did you yeah. ask 20 free throws? I don't know. Shut the hell up. I told you how to shoot when you five years old. Figure it out. And you, did, you know, he just hang up. You can do it. You ain't a punk. And you just hang up. So it's a great example there of you, know, you talk about it. Obviously, we all have people who we remember vividly their words. That You've mentioned a few specific ones from your dad. But being able to take that and turn it into a, you know, flip it, not only to help you get through a problem, but also to help other people. You mentioned you spread your happy juice on it with your words there where it actually it does change your physiology and you're able to go into the next situation better. Let's, let's pivot now to your business stuff that you've moved on to after your, your game. I know we're coming up on finishing the show, but I, it would be selling you short to not mention that your total net worth, forget about the fact that you earned a lot of money playing basketball, you've more than tripled that since, right? You've got a, a number of investments, a number of franchises, a number of startups. You're kind of a self-made entrepreneur in that sense. How much of your business, your approach to business is partly your competitive juices, like you want to win. So I want to make this deal to win. I want to be the best. I want to be the smartest. I want to be on the edge here, right? I want to dominate that area just like I've dominated basketball. Or how much of it is I want to actually make a difference here in this community. I'm trying to win this deal so that I can impact people's lives. It would be the second part, but later on in life. 
I am a good investor and a good businessman out of fear. Hmm. 73% of all professional athletes five years after they're playing have zero, big zero. Is that because you actually went there? Like you lost your money or you just saw other people? No. no. Every time an athlete did something crazy, I would get disciplined for them. So it's the reason why I don't do drugs. You ever heard of Lynn Bias? Yeah. So Lynn Bias passed away. My father comes in the house furious. Tears, uniform ripped off, grabs me, throwing me around the house. It was probably the worst discipline I got. Said, if you ever do coke, I'll kill you. I'm young at the time, I'm like, Dad, we drink Pepsi. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about drugs. I think he disciplined me. He sat me down and we watched the story and we cried together. My father was like, this kid, he's going to be the best kid he messed up. Never doing drugs. One time he caught me sipping beer. Oh, you want to be a man? Drink the beer. Drunk a 12-pack to the head. I hate beer. Right? Drinking and driving, doing drugs, never do that. So, you know, every time an athlete would lose his money, he'd just be mad at me. So I said, you know what? i got to figure ways to, to at least have a little bit of money. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not a genius. Like, you know, they always say, invest, invest, invest. You got to be educated to know what you're investing in. And then, so like when I first got into the game, I only had two rules. If it's too good to be true, stay away from it. If it's safe, get into it. So I met with a guy, uh, Larry knows him, less than municipal, Jewish fella. He said, hey man, government bonds, six, 7%, some annuities, so when you stop playing, you have this much coming in. That was the first thing I did. So, all right. So now I meet Magic Johnson. Magic Johnson says, oh, it's good to be famous, but you want to start owning stuff. I didn't pay him no mind until one day I'm walking by and I see a Magic Johnson 24-hour fitness. I'm like, and then I see a Magic Johnson Starbucks. I'm like, and I see a Magic Johnson theater. I'm like, but this was around the time I was getting my master's. And you know, first book I got was Dummy's Guide to Starting Your Own Business. I'm like, damn, this is how they do it? And my favorite chapter is joint ventureship. I'm like, hmm, okay, this is how I could still do what I do, but I own some stuff, like boom, boom, boom. Like if I want to get a podcast, and uh, I'm going to call my guy Patty, get with his company, I'll put the money up, boom, 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 boom. Shaq and Patty and Shaq, Patty Shaq, podcast, right? So once I mastered the joint ventureship, it was easy for me to get into business. So first thing I did was start a shoe line. I do a joint venture, I don't want to own shoot, so I did a deal with Reebok. I did that. I said, okay, we got this. Uh, I did a joint venture with Jive uh, Records. So that was a way for me to own things, still do business, and have the knowledge of how the business supposed to be ran and still play basketball. Because I did research on, like, how this guy mess up in the restaurant? Is he actually trying to run the restaurant like he was a restaurateur? I said, no. So what am I going to do? I'm going to go to Vegas, I'm going to meet a couple guys. Hey, man, you want to do a restaurant together? Yeah. Oh, my restaurant is successful. Hey, man, we got another space. Let's do another restaurant. Hey, man, the Paris Hotel love us. We got the restaurant here. We got the one bottom. There's a space. Oh, let's do a club. So, like, it's just, but it's all about joint venturesship. So, Larry knows my partners. I trust them. They trust me. I'm the money guy. And we do business together. Because it was all done out of fear. Not because I'm some business expert like I don't want to be one of those guys that have nothing. I need something. So, you know, I got a whole bunch of money just sitting here not doing nothing. I just take a little piece and see what it does. Oh, thank you. 
Thank you. Because every time I try to get with the get rich quick stuff, I lost my ass. And then when I became older and started becoming wiser, really getting into investments, because I go to all the tech summits and things. I'm a geek. I want people to know that I'm a geek. I need, I love technology. So I'm watching Jeff Bezos speak about him starting Amazon. I was like, man, if he pulls this off, it's going to be brilliant. But he said, I invest in things that's going to change people's lives. And Amazon is going to change people's lives. And once I heard that, now when I invest, it's all about that. It's all about that. So I've been lucky. I don't want to act like I'm an expert. And the best thing, you know why I love smart people, Patty? Why is that, Shaq? Because they all work for me. <laughs> but then I forget I got people smarter than me. Eisenhower said the greatest leaders are the ones smarter enough to hire people smarter than them. Yeah. So you know, there's been a lot of guys that have been in my position to act like they know what they're doing. We don't know what we do. We know how to play basketball. We don't know nothing about ROIs and how to run a restaurant and how to deal with the city and get permits. You got to get somebody that you trust to do all that. And then you have to be educated enough to look at the books. See, I can. I can call any one of my businesses and look, hey man, send me, send me last month's reports. And I'm educated enough to look and say, hey, what's this 1500 for? With who? Who is he? I, I wasn't aware of that. Uh, give me on the phone with him. So I'm educated enough to look at the book. But when you have trust and you have honor, none of that stuff is necessary. Yeah. You mentioned there a lot of things that you don't know about in some businesses. You do know sport. Is there any itching for you to get involved? This is totally a curiosity question of mine, more than relevance to the show, but LeBron just bought into the uh, Fenway Sports Group. You had any interest in, in buying into sports franchises or is that something that's too close to home for you? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm a, a minority owner of the Sacramento Kings. There you go. So Should have done more research. Yeah, doing that. Doing a lot of stuff. I don't, I don't like to tell people what I'm doing because it seems like bragging sometimes. I don't want to be one of those athletes that Larry knows. Look at me on my chin. I'm counting money on my chin. Look at all the cars. I never want to be like that. I want to be an inspiration story. This reminds me of I'm maybe two years into my time in the U.S. I'm working in pro sports, shipping from one minor league team to another right now, right? I'm working across all levels of one of the MLB teams. I'm in a Delta lounge, and I look up, and I see probably the biggest human being I've seen in my life standing at the gate in front of me with Shaquille O'Neal getting on a commercial flight. And I'm just like, what? Wait, what? What is it? This guy is one of the richest athletes, one of the most successful athletes, and he's flying Delta, barely fits in a first-class seat. Like, is that something that you've carried on, or was that like a you had a snafu with one of your bookings? I was – I didn't want to feel bougie by flying private, but I I fly private now. I'm not going to lie to you now, but – when I first started off, I didn't want to fly private, but it's just, you know, with the COVID and all that stuff, I'm, I'm rather just, you know. It makes sense. It makes sense. That's why my mind was blown at the time. I'm like, whoa, unexpected. Starting to wrap up the show here. I really appreciate your time. You mentioned there in that last little bit about Jeff Bezos investing in things that are going to change people's lives. We want to finish off with really, we've talked about your amazing journey from being a kid growing up in a real bad area of Newark, New Jersey having a rough upbringing, getting taught discipline along the way, becoming one of the best of all time in your domain and then spreading out to other domains doing things that people never get to do, even if they spend their whole lives in that. You've had a great journey, but we're only just getting started, right? We're still going. What's on your plate right now? What inspires you? What are you aiming to do that impacts people's lives beyond what you've already done? 
I mean, I got a couple of new business deals coming up, but I, I, like, I know all eyes on me. So especially when it comes to social media, this is my, this is my methodology behind social media. 60% make you laugh, 30% to inspire you, and 10% to let you know what, what I got going on when I'm selling. Uh, just, I want to be the guy that when you see, automatic smile. I want to be the guy that when you when you run into, you know you can have a conversation with us. Like, people are amazed that when they see me, I'm by myself. Like, yeah, well, you probably could, you don't have an entourage. I'm like, what's an entourage? You don't have a bodyguard. What do I need a bodyguard for? Like, that, like, like people are really amazed. Like, bro, you ain't got no security. No. Like, bro, you're in a Dodge Charger? Yeah, what else would I be here? Like, so I don't, I don't consider myself a superstar because superstars are crazy. And I don't want to be in that category with those idiots. I'd rather be demoted back down to regular people like Larry and Patty. I don't want to be no spoiled superstar and, and the crazy shit, see my friend, the crazy shit that they do. I, I'm not a superstar. I'm just a guy that listened to his family that believed in one word, and that word was belief. It's the only word I had. Oh, I believe I can do it. No, you can't. I believe I can do it. No, you can't. I believe I can do it. No, you can't. All right, we'll see. So, and you just keep going with that. And I'm not allowed to give up. We'll never give up. I've never in my life thought about giving up. You know, there's a difference between giving up and moving on. I gave up one time because when I was, when I got injured from playing with the Boston Celtics, I still had a one year left. I was like, you know what? I don't feel like robbing the people. Like people come to see me play. They don't want to see Shaq average nine, 10 points. I give up. I quit. Time for me to do something else. But being that I listen to my parents, the parents always say, hey, man, you better have something to fall back on. I knew how my career was going to end with a career in danger. I knew it. But my parents prepared me for it. Hey, what if you blow your knee? What if you blow your Achilles? What if this? What if that? So when I blew my Achilles, I had one year. I could have came back and did the Pharaoh Shaq tournament. Nope. I will never rob the people. I quit. I give up. I'm going to do something else. And then I got, I was going to take a year off and just travel and just get super sexy and party for a year and then come back and do some things. And I got the call from TNT. So, but. Well, to all the people out there, first you have to have the, the belief. Once you say it to yourself many times, no matter what trials and tribulations you go through, you will overcome it. We all have similar problems. Don't let, because I have a high net worth, fool you like I don't have problems. We're all human, we all have certain problems. But the way I get through my problems is I figure out the solution. I never focus on the problem. I identify the problem. Say it one time and I'll focus on the solution. Love it. Love it. Great way to wrap it up there. You've got an incredible story that hopefully inspires a lot. Man, I appreciate your time. Really, really great to have you on here. And, uh, and thanks for sharing your time with us today. All right, mate. Talk to you later, mate. <laughs> Cheers, mate. So what is it got to be so damn? Yeah. Uh, excellent. Bustle with the best of them. Simply impressive. No one.